Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. And I am so excited to embark on this adventure with all of our listeners and special guests. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds in the industry. From seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Welcome, Chris Cavanaugh, to the Interactions and Attractions podcast. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have you on the program, but also because we are doing the very first cocktails uh, episode, and I'm assuming you've got your cocktail there with you? I do indeed. You just just took a sip. Um, What are you drinking? Uh, So since this is a a travel and tourism-based discussion, um, I thought that I would uh, have a cocktail that... uh, I uh, discovered on a, a trip of mine, um, on a visit uh, to uh, Nashville, uh, which I, I know the city very well, having both lived there and gone to school there, uh, on a visit there several years ago and staying at the Lowe's Hotel, uh, they had uh, something called a mason jar old fashioned. And nice. uh, I, I, I assembled the, uh, the recipe by uh, guessing at the uh, the quantity at the uh, quantities of uh, the ingredients it's a it's a nice uh, way to bur- do it in my opinion. yeah yeah it's a bourbon based uh, cocktail uh with bourbon uh some cinnamon uh walnut um uh, syrup uh and uh, a dash of bitters uh so it's a it's a riff on an old-fashioned and uh it's uh it's quite delicious very smooth uh, typically a good wintertime drink, uh, and even though it's summer, it's just what I felt like. And like I said, it was inspired by uh, by a trip I made to uh, to Nashville, Tennessee. Ooh, here's to travel. Absolutely, uh, and that's usually where I find uh, some of the best cocktail inspirations. Even though my uh, my wife is actually the uh, the big mixologist uh, in uh, our household. Oh, nice! I have yet to have one of Pam's drinks, but I'm I'm still hoping. Well, it's, he's, uh, as you know, a big uh, mezcal enthusiast, among other things. Yes. And uh, that's uh, definitely something that uh, she really has uh, has enjoyed making. And she just enjoys It's a good opportunity for her to be creative and uh, enjoy it. I think our, our next house will be built probably around a home bar uh, rather than uh, just simply an afterthought. Nice. Well, yeah, and, and we don't make any mezcal in, in North Carolina, but I heard that there are there's a distillery or two that is starting to import it in and, and kind of give it its own local spin. Wow, um, really? That's interesting. That's, uh, I had not heard that. That's, uh, that's very exciting. A good example of, uh, of the creativity that uh, can be involved in that business as well. Right. So, so I am drinking, I want to tell you what I'm drinking because I'm, I'm drinking the, it for the first time. 
um, I wanted to get something from North Carolina. And, um, and so, as you know, uh, Mother Earth Brewery has done beer very well for quite some time, but I had never had any of their spirits. Mm. And so yesterday I got um, a, a bottle of Mother Earth Spirits Carolina Rye. Wow. Wow. Okay. I've got one, you know, one rock, mm -hmm. uh, in my, in my glass in my rocks glass, and I'm just going to sip on that while we chat. So again, thank you for being here in this, in this cocktail episode of interactions and attractions. Glad to, uh, to be here and, uh, thrilled for the opportunity to, uh, to speak with you today, Carol. So I, I love starting out um, asking about interactions, right? It's interactions and attractions. Um, I want to ask you, are there any key interactions you want to tell the listeners about that led you to tourism? Oh, great, great question. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. So many people in our business did not start out in tourism or hospitality. Uh, they came into it later in their careers. Um, for so many people, it was not necessarily the first choice, although increasingly uh, it is the first choice of a lot of, of people starting out in their career, which is a, 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 strong, uh, a strong sign of, uh, of respect for uh, the sector. For me personally, I, I had started my career um, after coming out of college and graduate school, I had started my career uh, in consumer packaged goods marketing. And one of the things uh, that occurred to me uh, was how much in that line of work your customer really isn't the end consumer. It's Walmart, it's Target, it's Kroger, uh, it's anybody else that uh, has to make the decision to put your product on the shelves in the first place. And I got the chance to interview at uh, and ultimately uh, received a job offer to move to Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and work for the Biltmore Company, uh, which owns uh, Biltmore Estate in Asheville. And I immediately recognized that the great benefit of that is that most of the time you're actually selling to your end customer. Um, and so your messages uh, of encouraging uh, people to quote, consume your product and to, to purchase your product or service go straight generally to the end consumer, uh, which uh, I loved. That was one of the things I just loved. I also love the ability to just go out and talk to the consumer uh, on a daily basis, uh, to talk to the guests at Biltmore uh, and to ask them what brought them there, uh, what, what were the stories and uh, appeal uh, of the attraction uh, that brought them there in the first place. Something that is uh, actually very hard to do in consumer packaged goods. Um, we once uh, tried to do that in a, a Walmart store and got chased off the property. Um, and uh, there's no no worry about that generally uh, in, in tourism and hospitality because you have the opportunity to speak to your guest, your customer, uh, literally every day. Uh, and that's really one of the interactions that I, I found uh, very rewarding. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned, Chris, you know, the product and the end consumer, and I think it's worth mentioning, what is the product in tourism? Some, you know, my hope is some of the people listening to the podcast may not 
be an insider in the tourism industry. So what is the product that's being sold? Yeah, and that's that's a, that's a great point. You know, when we're talking about a, a product or, or a service uh, outside of travel and tourism, uh, that's a lot easier for people to understand. Um, it's something you go and buy at your local grocer, uh, at your local uh, Walmart, Target. Um, a service might be uh, anything from your neighborhood dry cleaner to a plumber that comes uh, and provides a service at your home. Um, and in travel and tourism, um, I, I probably use the term product too much. <clears throat> it's, it's actually the experiences that we enjoy uh, when we're traveling, uh, when we're traveling anywhere. <clears throat> and that can be for business, that can be to see friends and family. It can be to take a dream vacation. Uh, it can be uh, to uh, to go call on a client uh, to sell them something. Um, it can be uh, traveling uh, for uh, education uh, or enrichment. And there's lots of, you know, we, we see lots of images of, of very glamorous quote unquote experiences, uh, when in fact, that's just a very small slice uh, of why we travel. Uh, and uh, it's really more about experiences probably than it is product. Um, and that opportunity to, to shape what that experience is to the betterment of both our communities and the guests, the visitor, uh, is something I've learned to embrace during my 28 plus years uh, in, this, uh, in this sector. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned the, um, the fact that not all tourism is leisure travel. Um, and and you say one of the things that I do in my introductory class to tourism at you know at Appalachian State, I go around the room and I say you know name a type of experience, just give me a descriptor, um, you know like a romantic experience or a bonding or an exciting or relaxing or whatever, and 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 we try to cover like the descriptors but also the different niches, you know there's spa tourism and there's distillery tourism. I'm not sure why distillery tourism came to mind, but it did. Um, you know, any kind of any kind of really even specialized niche. Um, there are so many different types of tourism experiences to have. But the business travel or, um, you know, intramural soccer or visiting, um, you know, colleges or uh, medical tourism. Yeah, and, and there's so many there's so many reasons why we travel, um, and why we get into an automobile, uh, why we fly on an airplane to get somewhere, and and so actually relatively few of them have to do with so many of the images that we associate with travel and tourism, so many of the experiences that we associate with travel and tourism, uh, and we forget about uh, why uh, you know the the, the Main, one of the biggest motivations of all uh, is to go visit friends and family. In fact, that's usually the leading cause of travel uh, in, uh, in the United States and generally around the world is to go visit friends and family. And that's, it seems mundane and simple, uh, but yet that accounts for a large part of our travel economy. Um, and no, sometimes we don't necessarily want to always do that, um, but it, it's, a, it's a major influence upon uh, the visitor economy. Uh, and uh, yes, we rather think and talk about uh, the uh, experiences that are dream vacations or the most interesting places we've ever been to. 
uh, when in fact, uh, that's just a, a real small slice of, uh, of what our business is. Well, I mean, speak for yourself, Chris, but my family is absolutely perfect. And I would want to spend every minute of every day with all of them. So yeah, I, I need know. to be sure to, to get that on the record as well, that I feel the exact mm. same way. Good, good. I'm glad we share that. Um, so it, it, it strikes me as I, as I'm hearing your voice that, um, probably a lot of the listeners who have been in the same room with you, who have worked with you before, who have been your clients, who are your partners, um, who you have, uh, talked to at conferences throughout the years, they recognize your voice. They're like, that's the voice of Chris Kavanaugh. So I, I I'd love to just kind of briefly touch on your experience. You mentioned earlier, you've been in the tourism industry for 28 years. Um, that includes your time at Biltmore. Yes. And, right. and you started Magellan Strategy Group, I want to say in 2004? No, yeah, very good. Very good. That's correct. Yeah, 19 years ago, almost, uh, almost to the date. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked at Biltmore for a little over nine years. Uh, loved the experience. Uh, it's an amazing place, an amazing group of people. Um, and loved it. Uh, still have many friends there. Uh, but uh, I decided that uh, I really wanted uh, to uh, get out and explore a little bit more about uh, this industry, uh, this sector, which is really composed of a lot of different industries, and uh, wanted uh, to a variety of different challenges. Uh, and I've certainly got received that uh, over the last 19 years. Um, had the chance to work uh, everywhere from uh, California to France uh, and uh, have had uh, the opportunity, uh, many opportunities uh, to work right here in the state of North Carolina, uh, which have really been uh, among my very favorite uh, opportunities uh, and assignments. Uh, and, and I figured out uh, that I've, I've had the chance to, uh, to uh, visit in some way, not necessarily spend the night, but visit in some way, uh, 93 of our 100 counties in the state. So uh, I'm, oh, working on, I'm working on the other seven. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get there at some point. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, would, I, I would love to be able to rattle all them, all of them off, but, uh, I can't, I can't even do that, but yeah, it's, this is an amazing state variety. I asked for, uh, when I, I started Magellan, uh, 19 years ago, I asked for a variety of challenges, uh, and this state has certainly provided them. Hmm. Well, and, and your company is so well-named, I mean, strategy right there, um, you know, that, that really does at least summarize all of the aspects where I've seen you work. Um, you know, that, that to me is your, um, your, your greatest value. There's many values that you bring to every project, but that's one of your greatest values. And I think why you're so sought after and respected in the industry is that you approach strategy for, you know, attractions for sites at the site level, at the destination level, at a regional level. And you can do all of that, but taking into account the uniqueness, um, the individuality of uh, whoever your client is at that time. Yeah, and I, I've tried to, to do it in language that demystifies it somewhat. Uh, yes. I, I probably told you the, the story, uh, and I know I've told other people the story of one of my first speaking engagements after I uh, decided to, to go into this business of consulting uh, was at a statewide conference, not here in North Carolina. 
uh, and I was asked to, to speak on a topic uh, by a friend of mine and uh, who was employed at, at, at this state tourism uh, office at the time. And uh, I got the chance to present during a breakout session. And I, I thought I had to go in and be dazzling, use lots of technical language, um, be very high minded and, and show people how incredibly smart I was. And I ended up just simply alienating the audience, uh, which told me when, when I saw this, these blank looks around, uh, around the, the room, I realized at that point that I've got to learn to put this strategy uh, and, and ways of, of achieving it into language that not only, more importantly than, than even my audience understanding it, their audience of stakeholders, elected leaders, uh, staff uh, in the way that they need to be able to understand it and tell the story of strategy themselves in their community. And so uh, that's one of the things I've really enjoyed doing is just let's just get down to um, the basics of what strategy is. Uh, the, the late, great Peter Drucker uh, once said that uh, strategy is a plan around which to improvise. Uh, and I, I've always believed that um, it's a, it's. Uh, it's simply a plan for the future. And no, uh, as we've seen over the last uh, 20 plus years uh, in our world, uh, you can't uh, plan on everything, uh, but uh, hopefully you have a plan that will uh, get you and your organization, your community uh, there so that you can be better positioned to ride out whatever storm uh, fate is going to deliver to us. So I love that. Um, being in academia, um, there are a lot of people who use uh, big words uh, who are, you know, try to be fancy and they're and sometimes they're like made up words, but we do that to sound smart, like you said. And um, it's always been annoying to me, um, but but then it's it's also helped me run counter to that to try to to, to try to break stuff down and and just speak plainly about it um, because there, there's so many different ways to say the same thing um, so I really do appreciate that about your style and I know so many other people do as well well I appreciate that and it's, uh, it's certainly uh, it's just uh, as a result of 19 years of, of, of learning and still learning today that's for sure well, so speaking of 19 years and time, do you remember, um, do you remember how we met or maybe like when we first started connecting um, on projects and working together? Because I do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was when you were associated with Handmade in America. Um, and I, I could be wrong about that, uh, but just in terms of, uh, of timing uh, and uh, your uh, role in Asheville, and in Western North Carolina at the time, I, I, I feel like that's when it was, but I, I could be wrong about that. No, no, I, I, I'm sure you. I, I, I'm sure you're right about that. Um, a, a moment that stuck, stood out, stood, stuck out, stood out to me um, is, and, and that makes sense certainly because I lived in Asheville for two years and and worked in the western part of the state, 25 counties that Handmade um, served. At the time, um, prior to that, I, I also worked for Tourism Extension. Mm. Um, so I founded the Tourism Extension program in 2000, and um, and and 
of course, my my charge at that point was to work in all 85 rural counties. So that took me out to Western North Carolina some, but I think you're you're absolutely right um, about that. Um, a moment that stood out to me was, you know, you and I had sort of crossed paths at the um, North Carolina Governor's Conference, um, now called Visit NC. It was called... Yeah. 365 yeah, visit yeah, NC. 365 and before that it was a governor's conference. Yeah, I still like calling it the governor's conference. And <laughs> and you know, and and you know, we would bump into each other. And at some point, I was just like, Chris Kavanaugh, we've got to like work together. We've got to figure out a way to do something together. And I remember I was in Asheville. I pretty much stalked you, is is what happened, <laughs> I think. And and so we went we 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 went out and in Asheville to get a drink, of course, a cocktail. So that's why this is very fitting that we're doing this cocktail the episode um, to just try to strategize on how to um, you know pool resources and knowledge and and contacts and um, experience and and get to work together. And I'm I'm so glad that um, I am relentless and and stalked you to the point of here we are today. I do remember that. I, I had no idea. I, I remember that like it was yesterday, but I had no idea it was uh, uh, it, it was it was that. That seems like yesterday. <laughs> well, so so let's talk about now. Let's flash forward and talk about now and your role in the Uplift program. Um, can you break that down for folks? Because you know, doing a a rural tourism uh, support program in North Carolina just cannot be done without the inclusion of Chris Kavanaugh. So please, please tell the listeners what your role is to date. Well, yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. So to date, uh, I've really been engaged uh, so far in a series of workshops, uh, in-depth workshops that uh, Uplift has facilitated uh, in uh, their four regions uh, that they are currently working with, that you're currently working with uh, in North Carolina. And these uh, these four uh, regions uh, of the of the state, uh, one in the southeast part of North Carolina, one in the south central, uh, one uh, up in the north central part of the state, and then another in the northeastern part of North Carolina, uh, are all very different, but all share a lot of commonalities as well. And one of the things that I've done as part of these workshops is some basic uh, training and education around working with your board, uh, around explaining the fiduciary duties of your boards uh, in terms of, of tourism development authorities uh, and destination leadership organizations, but also looking at uh, some opportunities for investment in the community that include marketing, uh, tourism, uh, product development, experience development, um, and uh, looking at um, things like uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which has become very important uh, in, in our category uh, of, of business uh, and very important for a lot of boards as well uh, to make sure that our boards are representative of what our communities look like. Um, and how can, we, how can we expand the influence that we have, the positive impact that, we, that tourism has in the community? Um, but we've also looked at um, trying to broaden the base of support for tourism in these communities. You know, oftentimes in many uh, of the communities uh, in which Uplift uh, is engaged, um, tourism is not the first form of economic development uh, that people think of. 
It's probably not even the second or third in some of these communities. Um, and so uh, it's, it's uh, tourism uh, can be a great contributor to quality of life uh, as well as quality of visit. And uh, it's, it's been my role so far to help uh, the communities that we've done these workshops for uh, to help them identify what their path is uh, to increasing their community impact and increasing the benefit to the community. Fantastic. Um, any insights from the recent, you did you did one-on-one -on -one meetings with each of the yep. destination marketing organizations, which maybe we need to like back up and talk about what a DMO is. Um, you did one-on-one -on -one, um, consultations with them and, and really heard what was going on in their daily operations, in their region, in the context in which they're working. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about what a DMO is. Yeah, so D DMO or Destination Marketing Organization, as it's been uh, called uh, for a long time, uh, is simply the organization that is uh, charged with being the official promoter, if you will, uh, of the community as a destination. Uh, now, that that term has begun taking on new meanings uh, in recent years. Um, people are calling it a destination management organization, uh, destination marketing and management organization, or even destination leadership organization uh, to indicate the broadening role of what these professionals are uh, responsible for, um, not only in terms of promoting uh, the community as a destination, but also looking at potential experiential uh, improvements to the community and enhancements or investments to the community uh, that will improve quality of life and quality of visit. Uh, responsible for being at the table for uh, broader economic development. Um, looking at the opportunities for uh, including uh, new segments of the community that have not traditionally been engaged in tourism. Uh, the arts uh, is, is a great example of that. Uh, minority and women-owned businesses, and how do we sustain the growth of those small businesses? Um, and so as we look at the expansion uh, of, of the role of the DMO uh, beyond just simply marketing and promotion, um, it's become really important to equip our professionals who are leading these efforts with the skills that they need to help bring their communities uh, along the continuum. And they're no longer uh, just simply operating visitor centers and putting out brochures uh, and, and brochure racks at those visitor centers. They're really responsible and should be taking on a much greater leadership role within the, within the community. Uh, and these discussions, these conversations uh, that I've had to help uh, inform the work uh, in these workshops, the facilitation of these workshops, been really valuable. Um, you know, again, every community, every destination is different, but there are a lot of things that these communities uh, share in common. Uh, one of the big things uh, that I heard is the need for uh, additional lodging in many of these communities. Uh, uh, quite a few of the uplift communities either uh, do not have a branded uh, hotel uh, or do not have a hotel, new hotel that's been constructed within, say, this century. Um, and Right. As popular as, as short-term rentals have become, Airbnbs and VRBOs, uh, as popular as those have become, some people prefer staying in hotels uh, than staying in a uh, in a rental, in a vacation rental. Uh, so that's been one of the big themes that we've heard uh, thus far uh, in a lot of the conversations uh, that I've had uh, with uh, with the leaders of tourism in these communities. 
Yeah, I love that term destination leadership organization. Um, I really think I'm going to start using that because it is so accurate um, to portray all of the different roles that uh, DMO uh, manager uh, does during their during their job, their day to day operations. Um, what could you could you maybe name maybe one more insight that you gleaned from talking with the DLO uh, managers, and then also maybe some goals that you might have that the Uplift program, how, how the Uplift program could support DLOs or even support rural communities in general? Great questions. Um, let's start first with a, another insight uh, that I heard from just about every one of these leaders. In many cases, they, oh, now my phone's ringing. Sorry, Sorry I should have unplugged this. All right, I'll start over. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and one of the other insights that I heard frequently mentioned in uh, my conversations uh, with these leaders, one-on-one uh, -on -one and in the workshops that we did, uh, is so many of these individuals want tourism to be either talked about differently within their community or to be taken seriously. And that's difficult sometimes in a community that perhaps doesn't see itself as a destination, uh, that doesn't see itself as a place that people would want to visit and spend time and money in. And while so many uh, of us in this business, in this sector, get it and understand and in love and embrace travel and tourism, uh, there are still so many people that don't, including many of our elected leaders, uh, many of our community leaders. And I think one of the, to, to segue nicely into the, your other question, one of the goals is to be able to uh, give these leaders the tools necessary to be able to talk about tourism in their communities so that they can begin over time, because it will take time, they can begin to to convince and persuade others within the community that there is potential no not every community is going to be an Asheville, a wilmington an outer banks but every community has the potential for tourism because they have their own unique story and that's another part of what i think uplift is all about uh, is being able to share that story with the rest of the world and how do you do that what are the ways the best ways to do that and so we've spent time in these workshops talking about some basic marketing initiatives uh, that are very as i call them easy to assemble uh, we've spent uh, you're certainly going to be uh, engaging people in the upcoming uh, smithsonian workshops around storytelling and festivals and events uh, and so that's another goal is to be able to help facilitate storytelling uh, and to use those stories to differentiate yourselves as a community and as a destination from another community, uh, because every community has their own unique stories. And yes, there are some things that we need to do to do a better job of helping facilitate that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm often reminded of one of the first assignments I had uh, with a community, I went in to talk to a group of tourism stakeholders 
And I asked, well, what makes your community special? Uh, and the, one of the first thing they said was, well, we've got history. And I asked, well, how does a tradition, how does a typical visitor engage with that history in the community? And after a, 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 a pregnant pause, if you will, uh, after a, a big pause, there was uh, someone who finally said, well, we have a historic courthouse. And I had to ask the question, well, what makes your historic courthouse any different from anybody else's courthouse? And so it's, finding a way to first identify those unique stories, but also finding a way to tell those stories so that visitors can engage with them uh, in a meaningful way. And there's lots of different storytelling opportunities and media for being able uh, to do that. I think the other goal is, uh, from, from my perspective, um, in addition to uh, making sure that uh, the leaders we're talking to are equipped with the tools that they need, uh, to, uh, to talk about tourism in their community and to tell their story. I think my third goal is to try to elevate tourism within these communities by encouraging, by, by helping encourage and train a new cadre of leaders, a new group of leaders in these communities who do see that they have an opportunity to have a seat at the table along with economic development, parks and rec, and many of the other opportunities that we see contributing to quality of life in these, in these communities. Uh, because it's no longer just simply about simply uh, running ads or running uh, operating the visitor center. Uh, there's an opportunity here to demonstrate that uh, you have a rightful quote unquote seat at the table to be able to help shape the visitor experience, but help also help shape quality of life in a very meaningful way. Uh, and that's one of the, the that's really my third goal uh, in being a part of this is to uh, make sure that we're um, equipping uh, these leaders with the tools they need, but also uh, with the ability to uh, to to uh, step forward and be recognized among uh, a leader in the community uh, for what it is that you do. And a lot of that really evolves around, you know, helping support small businesses and entrepreneurs. Uh, and they're the lifeblood of travel and tourism. Uh, you know, it's been estimated that over 80% of businesses in travel and tourism would qualify as small businesses nationwide. And I would bet in most of the communities uh, in which Uplift is engaged, uh, that's well over 90 percent yeah they certainly are some of the more interesting parts of travel and tourism the the entrepreneurial uh pieces um yeah thanks for that chris um it you know you're you're a creative person um you're you and i share a love of data which is extremely nerdy you know we both admit it um, and, and an intellectual curiosity, you're very creative. Is, is there anything that you would like to work on within the scope of uplift that maybe you haven't ever done before, or that you would just think needs to be done? I think the next, and it's, it's, it's a good question. I think the next evolution for me is, is how can we help these individuals and these communities, these leaders and these communities think more creatively about storytelling, uh, about uh, ways of enhancing the visitor experience and enhancing quality of life through tourism. And one of the things that I think we all have to do uh, across this entire sector 
is get out of the habit of, of saying, well, my neighbor over in County X has that asset. Let's get one of those. Um, it, it reminds me of, of the story I heard uh, about uh, the boss coming back from a conference, going into his young marketing professional's uh, office and saying, the, basically, GAMUT which is an acronym for get me one of those. And we've got to do a better job of coming up with more creative ways of doing things that work for our community. And I think that that's really something that appeals to me is, is encouraging uh, these individuals to work collaboratively with a broad spectrum of different segments of the population in their communities that to tell the story, but also to engage visitors, that this is an opportunity that's not just simply about uh, not just simply about businesses and tourism. Uh, it's about uh, individuals. It's about uh, elected leaders, government staff, um, students. All of these individuals have the ability to contribute to what the destination can become and aspire to, uh, and that's really what I think you know is encouraging those leaders to be able to to be leaders uh, and take on the role of saying what are we going to do differently that will put us on the map uh, if you'll pardon the pun well and we of course we both know that the the leaders we're talking about wear 17 different hats um and so it's very very difficult from an energy time and financial constraints to 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 do as much as they already want to do. Um, and I thank you for bringing up storytelling. Uh, you know, that is such a critical piece in tourism. Um, it's a critical part of, of Uplift. Uh, you mentioned the Smithsonian Institution that uh, we are so fortunate to work with in terms of our festival training, but also storytelling, which will be later in the fall of 2023. I think this is a good time for me to mention that uh, if people go to our website, uh, uplifttourism.com, uh, there is always an events calendar running, you know, how to get involved, what's happening next. Uh, so people can always check out what's coming uh, to their county or to a neighboring county. And, um, and you know, in addition to the Smithsonian Institution, um, right now, uh, it, it'll be uh, released by the time this episode is released, uh, we will have launched a, a program called Hellos and Highlights. Hmm. And so our core counties uh, in uh, the Uplift program will be participating in, and when I say our core counties, any anyone who resides in, in the counties um, would be eligible to participate in a, a training session on how to create an introductory video to their attraction, their site, their business, uh, and and we will uh, offer editing assistance on on how to you know not only create and frame and um, you know introduce uh, get a, establish an emotional connection, um, but we will also assist with the editing. So it's something it's a product that they can put right on their website or on their social media and um, uh, assist with their marketing, but also assist cross-marketing so people can look at these uh, different hellos and highlights videos and get to know other people in their own region who are engaged in uh, providing an experience. That's great. I mean, that's a great example of, of 
providing a, another tool uh, for these leaders to have. And you brought up a really good point, which is the, the 17 other things that all of the participants are engaged with. And, you know, you as, as, as someone who's a, by nature, uh, by profession, a teacher, uh, me as someone who really enjoys quote unquote teaching through what I do, um, we can sometimes forget that uh, we've got to help prioritize what some of our actions are uh, because uh, we can provide a thousand ideas for what you should do. Uh, but the fact is, is that in many cases, uh, they have a staff of zero. They are the only person that's looking out for tourism in that community. Um, and- Let me just say for, for all of the DLOs out there, an, an amen. They are, they, are, they are listening and they're saying amen. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there is no one to delegate it to. Um, a, a few of our communities uh, have uh, maybe one staff person uh, that that DLO uh, has, uh, you know, who's doing social media or a thousand other tasks. Uh, but in many cases, uh, it's, it's a one person operation, uh, who's running these offices and, uh, and, you know, we're asking them to take on a new role, uh, while at the same time, continuing to do the 17 other things, uh, the 17 other hats that they're wearing as well. Well, Chris, our time together is coming to a close. And so I'm going to ask you a very important question. And I'm going to make sure that you provide a very specific answer. There's no cop-outs here. There's no like, oh, we're all so wonderful in the state. (laughs) So the question is, what is your favorite attraction in the state? And you cannot say the Biltmore Estate. No, I cannot. Uh, and I thought about that. Because, because they previously employed you, so there is a disclaimer there. You cannot say that. That That is true. Um, I was a history major as an undergraduate in college. Um, and the history of this state has fascinated me for 28 years since I became a resident here. And so the North Carolina Museum of History in Raleigh is probably my favorite attraction. Um, uh, I, it's, it's very geeky. It also includes, uh, the North Carolina sports hall of fame, uh, which is a very cool, uh, museum within the museum as well. Um, but I, I do love the museum of history. They oftentimes have great, great, uh, uh, uh temporary exhibits as exhibitions and ex- exhibits as well. Uh, and, uh, my, my, uh, family and my brother, uh, my parents, and my brother both live in Raleigh. Uh, and so every chance I, I get, uh, I, I, love visiting the uh, Museum of History. Oh, I love that answer. Please tell me that you saw the history of tourism. Okay, you did. You saw the history of tourism exhibit. That's not exactly what it was called. Yeah, it was Variety Vacation. Variety, variety Vacation Land, which was, if for, for those who may not know, was our um, state motto for a very long time. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was, it was a very, it was a well done exhibit. I like that. Yeah. In fact, I had someone in the, uh, the last workshop that we did, uh, who was advocating to go back to variety vacation land as a, uh, as a, a call to action, uh, for tourism advertising. Uh, uh but yeah, it was, you know, I, I, it's, this was back in the day before there were any tourism development authorities. It was back in the day before, um, you know, we had social media, uh, 
and it was a fascinating uh, exhibit of uh, photography and memorabilia uh, from uh, the really kind of the post-war years uh, when tourism in, in this country and in the state really took off uh, right uh, up through uh, kind of the 1960s, uh, kind of the the original uh, golden era of, uh, of tourism. And it was a, it was a great, experience. you know, one thing I really loved, I'm so glad you brought up the, uh, the va variety vacation land, uh, exhibit at the museum of history. One thing I think they did really well was show how, um, racialized the marketing was at that time. Um, you know, most, most, not all, most of the people, uh, in, in the images were white. Um, it was, it was, you know, portrayed from a, a white perspective. Um, so I'm really, I was really happy to see that they, um, that, that they pointed that out in the interpretation of the exhibit and um, didn't let that slide. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they the exhibit also did a wonderful job of not only uh, pointing out uh, how, um, racially segregated those experiences often were at that time, but also pointed out the discrepancy in the experience, uh, you know, experiences that they were not separate but equal. They were not equal um, uh, to start off with. Um, and uh, in addition to the discrimination that took place and how limited the number of opportunities were for people of color during that time period. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, I, I learned a number of things about uh, the history of tourism in the state uh, in that regard that I had not heard before. So if I had pressed you and said, what is your second favorite attraction in the state? <laughs> what would you say? Ooh, um, uh, does the entire length of the Blue Ridge Parkway count? Okay, I will accept that response. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of hard to, uh, to, to not like that, uh, particularly having uh, lived in Asheville and, and Western North Carolina for, for 28 years and uh, the park being one of the first things uh, that I did when I visited, this, uh, when I visited uh, Western North Carolina for the very first time. So, Chris Cavanaugh, thank you so much for being on the Uplift podcast, Interactions and Attractions. Um, I hope that this will not be the last time that you are on the podcast. I, I can think of a number of topics that we could talk about, you know, specifically doing a deeper dive on, say, occupancy tax. Um, there's so many different topics that you and I could get into. Um, but this was such a fantastic introduction to your role in North Carolina tourism, North Carolina beyond. Um, and, and, and just, I'm so grateful that you are a part of the Uplift program and thank you for being here uh, today. It is, uh, is my honor and certainly a privilege to be a part of the program. That's all we have today on interactions and attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 04790769 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. 
The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the U.S. Department of Commerce.